I was seven when I found out I had cancer. I was too young to fully understand what it meant, but watching my dad, Rob, break down in tears was enough to make me scared. My mom, Teresa, had taken me to the doctor with a mild fever and a cough. I felt okay, just a bit under the weather, but I was sent for a scan nevertheless. Later, mom sat the family down and told us the doctor had found a tumor on the base of my spine. It could be terminal, she said, and my father crumpled. Overnight, my life changed drastically. Mom made me wear a surgical mask, telling me it would stop other people's germs from making me sicker. I hated the way people treated me differently, with pity in their eyes. Hello and welcome to the last in the current series of Cond, episode 10. I'm Amy. And I'm Michael. Most mothers want nothing more for their children than to be happy and healthy. For most, the idea of their child contracting a serious or life-threatening illness would be the worst experience imaginable. And yet, there are a small number of parents who wish their children were sick. Today, we explore the story of one woman who convinced her entire town that her daughter was severely ill, even likely to die. This story seems to demonstrate both the best and the worst in humanity. Today, we head to Ohio and examine the sad and disturbing case of Hannah and Teresa Milbrand. Hannah's ordeal began in 2003, when she was seven years old. Rob and Teresa Milbrand were a fairly typical working-class family. Rob worked as a printer, while Teresa, or Terry, worked a number of different jobs. They both had children from other marriages, but they lived only with their daughter, Hannah. In April of that year, Hannah had been experiencing headaches, so her parents got her an appointment to see a doctor. Shortly after the appointment, Rob called some close friends and neighbours to relay the news. He was crying and emotional, and he revealed the doctors had found a small tumour at the back of Hannah's head. He said about the size of a pea. The tumour was on her brainstem. Soon after, confiding in their neighbours, Rob and Terry broke the news to Hannah herself. The quote you heard at the start of this episode was a quote from Hannah herself when speaking to a newspaper in 2018. The behaviour of the family seemed to change very quickly, choosing to stay at home much more often, and Hannah was not allowed to visit or play with her friends. This is a, a control thing, isn't it? Like we've seen this before where, you know, con artists achieve control over their, I'm going to say victims by, you know, not letting them to do anything. We saw this with Robert Freegard, didn't we? Like locking people up as a way to control them, keep them captive. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but at this point of the story, you would just assume, oh, the parents were maybe being overprotective. You hear a lot about that if they've got a child that's ill, they're overprotective. So people probably wouldn't, alarm bells wouldn't ring at the moment. You just thought, oh, they just want to make sure she's okay. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The family did attend church on Sunday and as many of the town knew each other, other members of the congregation would ask how the family and Hannah were doing. After a few months, one of Terry's friends, who happened to be a hairdresser, spotted patches of hair missing from Hannah's head. She offered to help in covering up the patches, 
but Terry requested she removed all of Hannah's hair. Hannah was deeply upset and did not want to lose her hair. Terry reassured her, saying she looked beautiful and she could wear hats. That's the sort of reassurance you need, isn't it, if you've just lost all your hair? Oh, don't worry about it. Just put a hat on. What are you moaning about? I know, but I suppose that's the reality, isn't it, of people that lose their hair. They do wear hats or they wear wigs or... Yeah, yeah, I suppose so, yeah. I feel in this, at this moment, you're being quite pessimistic. I mean, I know this is an episode of Cond, so it's not going to turn out like this family are amazing. But, you know... Oh, I should be a bit open, a bit more open-minded at this stage. I think so. I'm very sorry. I take it all back. Thank you. (laughs) It all seems perfectly normal to me. Meanwhile, Hannah's school had heard all about her illness and the pupils and staff wanted to do everything they could to support Hannah through her recovery. The school organised a Hat for Hannah Day where all the students were instructed to wear hats so that Hannah wouldn't feel self-conscious. Hannah wasn't only made to wear hats, she also wore a surgical mask over her face and bandages around her back and neck that were apparently masking wounds from the chemotherapy. However, it seemed Hannah's illness took a turn for the worse and Terry Milbrand went to visit Hannah's school to talk to her classmates about her condition. Is that a bit of a strange thing to do? Like going into lecture all her schoolmates about how terribly ill Hannah is? Yes, now that she's been very, very weird. <laughs> okay, I, 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 can, I can be cynical about this whole thing now, can I? Yes, you have my permission. Phew! I mean, I don't know much about chemotherapy, but do you get actual wounds from it? I know, it, I know it's like horrendous and you're really weak and there's some side effects, a lot of side effects. I must admit, I'd never heard of that until reading this case. Maybe occasionally? Cancer is very much of a taboo even now, even though it's so common, isn't it? So you'd never question, oh, well, I never saw that on the adverts. Like, No, and just because you've you know, met someone with cancer or you've experienced someone with cancer, doesn't, you know, no two cancer patients are the same. So you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily question it on someone else, would you? Absolutely not, no, but it just seems a little bit odd. Terry warned Hannah's classmates to keep an eye on Hannah in case Hannah were to have a seizure. This is Hannah's closest friend, Emily. My teacher said when she has seizures, the, if she shakes or something and we see her and she's and Mrs. Prince doesn't see it, we have to get her immediately and we have to go in a different room because it might be noisy for her. I, I got really scared. Is it weird that Hannah's still going to school? She's a cancer patient with chemothera- going through chemotherapy. I assume that's quite traumatic and she's very unwell. You know, I, when I was at school, a friend of mine had had to go through chemotherapy, and he had he had he was he had to be off for eighteen months while he while he went through that treatment. Yeah, I think people I know who's also sadly gone through chemotherapy, they've also had you know substantial time off because yeah, it's really invasive, and obviously the side effects of having chemo make you quite weak generally. Well, that's my knowledge of it. Yeah, I, that's what I thought as well. Yeah, so strange that she's still going to school. The community were close-knit and the family had many friends who would ask after Hannah and Terry was always happy to talk in detail of what was happening. She told members of the town that Hannah had leukaemia. She had three small tumours, one on the base of her neck, one in her jaw and one in her spine. The tumours were in the early stages and doctors were optimistic that chemotherapy would shrink them. Terry also reported to friends that Hannah was undergoing a heavy course of medication. She would talk of the ordeal of taking Hannah to have chemo in the next city 
and the healthcare worker that would come to the house to check on Hannah's progress. So she's happy to fill people in on, you know, details of the story, really. Do you know what I mean? But again, to play devil's advocate, like if you are a parent or a, a family member who's, who's, you know, got somebody in their family or a friend that's going through cancer, there's one thing kind of like broadcasting it, but how it's kind of, you know, told is like she's just kind of telling people. And I don't think there's anything wrong in that because I think you need to spread an awareness of it. Yeah, no, I would agree. And it's a very difficult thing to go through. So if talking to people and sharing, you know, and including people in your experience helps, it might do a bit. Yeah, I think so. Emily's dad worked as a firefighter. He had heard all about the Millbrand story and had shared it with his colleagues at work. It also came to light that the Millbrands did not have medical insurance to cover Hannah's treatment. On hearing news of this, Emily's dad and his colleagues at the fire service raised $500 to help towards Hannah's care. So you've got to remember this story is based in America where they don't have the NHS. Hannah's wish was to have a holiday, so the team from the fire service clubbed together to buy the Millbrands an all-expensive paid trip away. It was Hannah's wish, and all they wanted was for Hannah and the family to have whatever they wanted. One of the captains even bought Hannah a puppy, having heard she might like one. The team even hosted a bake sale, where some people in the town paid $40 or more just for one loaf of bread, as they knew it was going to support the family. So a very generous town, this. Um, Everyone's getting involved, there's the fire service, people are paying $40 for bread, just because they know, oh, it's going to a good cause, sure. It sounds like it's really close-knit communities. They're probably affected and, you know, just wanting to help out the family. The family raised a thank you card. It read, Hannah has a Mediport in her lower neck, which is used to draw blood and receive medication because her veins are so bad. She has lost weight and is now down to £33. The goodwill was spreading around the town. In the US, ring pulls from drink cans can be recycled to raise money for charitable causes. One girl in the town was severely disabled, was wheelchair bound and required a respirator to breathe. Her friends and family had been collecting ring pulls for years to fund her specialised equipment and medical bills. However, when the disabled girl heard about Hannah, she instead chose to donate the ring pulls to Hannah's cause. So a lot of people, even total strangers, being really quite moved by Hannah's story, I guess any childhood illness is quite horrifying to hear about, isn't it? Terry Milbrand put together a crack team of fundraisers who went door-to-door shaking tins to raise money. Hannah's chemo was apparently costing $2,000 a month and the entire town was donating to support the cause. A major business in the town agreed to match the total donated by all its employees. The Milbrand's church contributed over $7,000 to the fund The relatively small town had a population of little over 10,000, but everyone had heard about Hannah's story and donated as much as they could afford to help. In October, Terry Milbrand began telling friends that Hannah's illness was terminal and that she had just six months to live. Emily's dad broke the tragic news to his daughter that her best friend didn't have long to live. Absolutely horrible Um, having to tell your child that their best friend, how old are they, seven, Mm -hmm. is going to die. I mean, you'd hope that little Emily would not have had much experience of death. And also when you're like seven, you're protected from everything, aren't you? So she probably wouldn't understand it. It'd just be a horrible thing 
to do to tell anybody that somebody's going to die. Like as an adult, I've been told that people are terminally ill. I can't express the emotion of that. It's a horrible thing to have to come to terms with whatever age you are. If you're seven, that it's even harder. And for this dad to have to break that news to his daughter, like you can't imagine that conversation really, can you? That is absolutely awful thing to have to do. Meanwhile, Hannah's school had started to provide counselling for Hannah to prepare her for her death. Hannah wrote a Christmas wish list to Santa. Her only wish was to survive her illness. By November, however, the school had started to get suspicious about Hannah's condition. Her hair seemed evenly cut across her head, not in keeping with what they had been told that it was falling out in clumps. Also, Hannah's mum, Terry, had insisted that Hannah was often lethargic as a result of her illness and treatment. However, the school didn't notice any fatigue in Hannah. Like I said before, strange that she's going to school considering how ill she is, but okay. Especially at this point when she's terminal, like you'd just let the poor girl have a rest, wouldn't you? I would have thought so. Social services visited the school and interviewed Hannah, discovering very few of the symptoms that she should have been exhibiting. They also had a look under a bandage on Hannah's bag. The bandage was supposed to be covering a Mediport for the chemotherapy, but under the bandage, there was no Mediport and no scarring whatsoever. Police confronted Terry at the family home and later that day, in a second police interview, Terry confessed that Hannah's condition had in fact been faked. So Hannah's mum has fabricated an entire illness in her daughter, raised all this money and she was never ill to begin with. Which is also like absolutely horrendous, even if she hadn't raised thousands upon thousands of pounds, never mind shaving a poor daughter's hair off when she's seven and making her wrap her in bandages and also telling your daughter that you're going to die. The emotional, psychological abuse of that is absolutely horrendous. It's, it's, yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's difficult. What, what bit of this is worse? Is it raising thousands of pounds and the whole town donating to a cause that doesn't exist? Is it telling your own daughter that she's going to die soon? Is it telling the whole school that, hey, your classmate's going to die soon? I mean, all of it is unbelievably awful. (laughs) The police contacted Hannah's grandma, who was looking after Hannah that evening, and insisted she bring Hannah to the station immediately for questioning. Here's Hannah's grandma, Mary. It was, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. We need to question this little girl. This is big. This is big. I leave my granddaughter on a chair, balled up in a little knot, crying. Grandma, please don't leave me. As the investigation continued, Hannah revealed to the police that her mum had been regularly giving her a blue pill, supposedly for her illness. After taking the blue pill, she would feel drowsy and lethargic. It later turned out the blue pill Teresa had been giving Hannah was a sleeping pill. Teresa would give the pill to Hannah and take her for a drive in the car. When Hannah woke up, she would tell her that she'd just been for chemotherapy treatment. Hannah knew no difference. Drugging her child as well. I am absolutely shocked. Appalled. I want to laugh, but not because I find it funny, just because it's absolutely horrendous. Also, like sleeping pills. I mean, I'm no doctor, but working in mental health and quite often people asking for sleeping pills because maybe they're, because obviously they're struggling to sleep. Um, they're not given out lightly. Like sleeping pills are not given out lightly. I know you can buy them, but a, any GP would not recommend giving 
sleeping pills to an adult, never mind a child. Yeah, so giving them to a child in the middle of the day when she's off to school or whatever later on. It's, it's horrendous, isn't it? Absolutely horrendous. I think this also shows how premeditated the whole thing is, though. Do you know what I mean? Because she knows exactly what she's doing here. She's feeding sleeping pills to her child. So A, her child shows some sort of symptom, tiredness, fatigue... But also so she can convince her own child that she's had treatment when she hasn't. It's, it's so premeditated. Because at first I thought, oh, maybe she kind of sold it to her daughter as like a bit of a, we're going to pretend to do this. Yeah, no, the kid has clearly, well, the kid's seven. She has no idea what's going on. It's horrendous, absolutely horrendous. Police quickly sought a warrant to search the Millbrand's home where they found some of the donation money and gifts from the local community. They also found thousands of discarded ring pools in the family's rubbish. Remember that disabled girl who'd given up her ring pools that she'd saved up for her medication? She donated them to Hannah. This family just threw them away, put them in the bin. Again, that's absolutely horrendous. Police soon realised the vast scale of the deceit and the literally hundreds of people who were conned by it. They made a statement to local media revealing their discovery and encouraging any victims of the fraud to come forward. Over the next three days, hundreds of calls were received by the police. At the end of day three, Teresa, her husband Rob and her mum Mary were all arrested. Media descended on the town and the story made front page news around the world. As it did so, the police victim list continued to grow. Remember Hannah's school friend Emily? Here's her dad from the fire service. Officer Reese from the police department came over and asked us if we were giving this family money. And he held up a picture of Hannah. And I said, yeah, why? You know, he said, well, it's all a hoax. And I mean, everybody's just, their jaw just opened. It was unbelievable. It seemed that nearly every business and church in the city had donated. Every shop and organization had a collection tin on their counter for Hannah. These were all taken in as evidence. It's believed that in total, the mill brands took by deception goods, services and cash to a total value of over $30,000. Most disturbing of all is it's not clear where that money went. Only $500 in cash was ever recovered from the family home. 30 grand. Don't know what happened to it. They've spent it probably. For Terry, Rob and Terry's mum, Mary, the case went to trial a few months later. In the state of Ohio, fraud is treated as both a kind of theft and as a method for committing theft, and therefore the charge presented is theft. Terry's mum was charged with theft for selling candles in Hannah's name. She pled not guilty, insisting that the people who bought the candles had indeed received what they paid for. It's not clear if Mary was in on the deceit. Terry was charged with theft, child endangerment and felonious assault. The assault charge relates to cutting Hannah's hair and forcing her to wear a face mask unnecessarily. Rob was charged with conspiracy on each of Terry's crimes and also pled not guilty. How would you feel if you had donated, even if you just put a pound in a bucket in a shop that you'd been in? How would you feel? I think I'd feel robbed. I think I'd feel a range of emotions, really. I'd feel robbed. But I, I think I'd just feel really sorry for the girl. Obviously, if I'd put in the work that Emily's dad had done, I'd feel absolutely furious if I was him. But if I'd just put a quid in, or if I'd not been actively involved, I'd, I think I'd still just feel really sorry for Hannah. 
Yeah, I agree. I think this is one of those cases, though, as well, because it's such a close-knit town, I think you'd feel a disbelief that this has happened in your area. Do you know what I mean? A bit like when a, a major crime happens just down the road from you. This is one of those where I think the whole town would be like, as if that happened here. Yeah. It's mad. The town was understandably furious, feeling betrayed. When Terry was found out, she very quickly confessed, and many in the town assumed her trial to be a formality. However, Terry had other ideas. We're State of Ohio versus Teresa Lynn Milbrand. Are you prepared to enter a plea, counsel for defendant? We are, Your Honor. We've entered a plea of not guilty and not guilty by reason of insanity. Court notes that pleas of not guilty and not guilty by reason of insanity have been filed. So apparently she is insane. That's what she's pleading. She didn't know what she was doing. Thoughts? Oh, it just makes me really bloody mad. That is absolutely calculated. That is, she set it out. That isn't just acting on your impulse, you know. That's not just responding to um, voices or responding to, not that you have to be, you know, insane to hear voices, you don't. But, you know, this is planned. It's a load of bollocks. She ain't insane. I agree. It's the, it's the calculated nature. No one does this by accident, do they? Prior to the trial, Terry and Rob Milbrand, of their own volition, visited some entirely independent psychiatrists and physicians. They performed a thorough examination of Terry's mental health and diagnosed her as having Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Munchausen syndrome is a mental health condition where the sufferer is convinced they are suffering from a physical condition that they don't actually have. Munchausen's by proxy, sometimes known as fabricated or induced illness, is where someone projects these symptoms onto another usually someone in their care. So, Munchausen's by proxy. Now, Munchausen syndrome, I get that that's a mental illness, right? Because you can believe that you have symptoms. You'll take medication to, that you think will ease the symptoms. It might even work because of, you know, the placebo effect and things like that. On yourself, I get it. On someone else, I struggle much more because she knows she wasn't taking her for chemotherapy. She knows she was just driving around the block on a sleeping tablet. It's bollocks. Yeah, I know, because I know from people that I've worked with, again, in working in mental health, you know, they will believe that they've got like a brain tumour or they will believe that they've got cancer or a common one is to believe that they are pre like they are pregnant mm -hmm. and they will go to A&E or the doctors and present. Yeah, because they and, and say, presumably, I've got this thing. They haven't, but they believe it. But if she was actually doing that, then that would be flagged by the doctors at an early stage. You know, if she took Hannah and they said, oh, she's fine, and then she continued start taking it for... Yes, then that's Munchausen's by proxy, but she's not going to the doctors. She knows she's fine. She's driving around the block. Yeah, outrageous. It later emerged that the case of Hannah wasn't Terry's first time in court. In 1989, Terry had been tried and found guilty of credit card fraud. For this, she was given probation. Two years later, still on probation, she was convicted for issuing bad bank checks. She was convicted of theft and sent to prison. Whilst in prison, she appealed for leniency, citing her good behaviour, attending church and parenting classes, insisting she felt rehabilitated. She was released after serving just four months of her 18-month sentence. So she used the uh, guilty by reason of insanity plea. However, she's done other fraud things before. Uh, credit card fraud, she's issued checks that she knew wouldn't clear. Does this change your view of her at all? No, it doesn't really change my view of her. But what it makes me think is, you know, she's put her child through a significant 
abuse. She sat there, maybe with a wine, th- thinking, what can my next scam be? The psychological abuse she's put Hannah through is just unforgivable. And she doesn't seem to care or consider that at any stage. She doesn't give a shit. It's unbelievable. So what was Rob's defence? He said that Terry's hoax was so elaborate, he had no idea it was a lie. Absolute loads of crud. He took her to um, the first appointment about headaches and then he relayed the appointment, you know, the information. So, I mean, I know, you know, we don't know whether it was Terry telling him. Terry is the ringleader, but I'm sure he was cashing on all the money. The judge ordered a new mental evaluation for Terry and her original insanity plea was rejected. She was eventually sentenced to six and a half years for theft and child endangerment. Her sentence could have been as high as 33 years. She was released in 2010. Seems like quite a light sentence to me. What do you think? It's just ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Robert pleaded guilty to child endangerment and entered an Alfred plea to felony theft, which means he does not admit guilt but recognises prosecutors have enough evidence to convict. Robert Milbrand served four years and 11 months. He maintains that he did not know Hannah's supposed illness was a scam. So what did happen to Hannah? After her parents' arrest, she spent the first year in a foster home before Rob's sister sought to gain custody of her. Custody was granted and Hannah moved in with her aunt. She had been badly affected by her experience, however, and in her early teens suffered with terrible depression, even attempting to take her own life. In 2008, when her dad was released from prison, Hannah moved to live with him in New York. She was 14 by this stage and was badly bullied at school, which compounded her depression. Rob supported her through this and helped her to recover. When she was 20, she went to Springfield University, 20 minutes from her original Ohio home. Hannah doesn't see or speak to her mother, but has recalled occasionally accidental meetings. Once in a restaurant, and once when she saw Teresa in her rearview mirror, driving right behind her. Hannah believes her dad was not involved or aware of what was going on and maintains a positive relationship with him. So that is the horrific story of Hannah and Teresa Milbrand and the entire town. Have we done one before? Have we done an episode before where an entire town has been conned by something? I think this might be the biggest scale one that we've covered. Um, An entire town conned into believing that a member of their community was terminally ill. Rob is an interesting one in all this because, yeah, he says he has nothing to do with it. And now Hannah believes him, which so they're back, you know, on talking terms. She's living with him. They've got an all right relationship and that's good. I think if he was, if he, if he genuinely didn't know, he must be thick because where were the medical bills going? Surely he should have been paying for this treatment. Surely bills would have been landing on the doormat for the chemotherapy, which is very expensive. Did he not notice they weren't paying for that for anything? Also, didn't he take Hannah to the chemo? Wouldn't he have, you know, it's such a stressful thing to go through as a family. I doubt that if you are parents, that that burden would rely solely on one parent. I, I agree. If you're living in the house with that, surely you couldn't, that couldn't go unnoticed if you lived with her. I, it, to me, it seems a bit far-fetched that he didn't know. 
And it, you know, and this story like really highlights like how significant like trauma, which for Hannah it would be trauma that she was exposed to by her parents. And that has impacted her mental health. And more probably, sadly, you can recover from depression by building, you know, your own sort of like resilience and such forth. But it'll probably affect her for the rest of her life. I think it's just really sad. It's just a truly horrible thing to do to somebody. Well, thank you for listening to this episode and to all of the first series of Conned. End of series one. We made it to episode 10. What a joy. Woo! Uh, if you have enjoyed this then please uh, write us a review on Apple Podcasts as it does really help us out Uh, we're going to be back soon with a brand new series when? don't know it's when we've had time to produce them all and they take blooming ages so uh, we'll be back as soon as we can Uh, till then thank you for listening and we'll see you soon bye